So, dear God, thank you so much for this morning. Lord, thank you for um, the music that we got to sing your praises about and think about your character. Thank you for your words of instruction that Stella gave, um, gave the kids and that we can all think about for ourselves as well. Uh, I pray that you would help us to walk away today with something, some encouragement or some thought from numbers that you would like to, us to think about and direct our paths maybe on something this week, some conversation, some action you want us to take. So Lord, prepare our hearts and just uh, help us to, to listen to your voice. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. So I'm going to start off uh, again just reminding you that the purpose of Scripture is to reveal God and to point to Jesus. And the whole reason we're doing this study once more is to increase our biblical literacy so that we can respond in faith and obedience. This week, we're going to be looking at Numbers, and like Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus, Numbers was recorded by Moses. And it's a recording, Numbers is a recording of the story of two generations, two censuses, two journeys, and two instructions to those people. So there are consequences for disbelief and disobedience to God. And Paul refers to these and refers back to Numbers. So I thought it'd be helpful to just take a look at what he said in 1 Corinthians. There we go. He said, these things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. When you read through Numbers, you'll see the kindness and severity of God. You'll see God use a variety of people and situations to glorify himself. So the book begins kind of picking up where we left off a couple weeks ago when we were talking about Leviticus. The Jewish people have been freed from Egypt after hundreds of years of captivity and slavery there. And God was teaching them in Leviticus about himself and how he should be worshipped. God was laying a foundation for the importance of and how to love God and love man. While Leviticus took place over a period of about a month, Numbers stretches over 39 years. And as we look through Numbers, as you read through Numbers, I'd really encourage you, because on a Sunday morning we can only hit some highlights, but as you read through it, I think you'll notice that we're reminded that the people were very immature and easily influenced by others. I'm going to give a few examples of these things. Um, the first has to do with Moses. Now, as you know, Moses had a really special relationship with God. He, uh, God talked to him in ways that he didn't talk to other people. And so when I bring this point up, I'm not taking away anything from that. But I just find it interesting. They're getting ready to move towards the promised land. And Moses' brother-in-law, um, I'm sorry, I didn't write his name down, but his brother-in-law 
is he's going to move back to where he's from. Like he's been apparently journeying with Moses or been there with him. And Moses says this to him. He says, please don't leave us, Moses pleaded. You know the places in the wilderness where we should camp. Come, be our guide. If you do, we'll share with you all the blessings the Lord gives us. And I, when I read that, I, I, I got the impression that, you know, Moses was trusting God, but it wouldn't have hurt to have somebody who knew the lay of the land close by. He was like a security blanket. Um, so, you know, this is quite a challenge that they're facing. So I, I think it's just helpful to see that even Moses was, was a little anxious for what lie ahead. And we'll see that soon enough in chapters 11, in chapter 11, there's a, a lot of further explanation of the people beginning to complain quite a bit about their situation. And I found it really interesting in chapter 11, verse 4, it says, there's a, uh, it says, then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. And the people of Israel also began to complain. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. And we, all, and we had all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic we wanted. But now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. I thought this was a, an interesting um, segment because I never really realized there were other people besides the Israel, Israelites who left Egypt. And this idea that um, there was this, they had enough tendency to, to focus on the bad and complain, but now they also had bad company who also influenced them to, to see things in, the, in a bad way. We also see that the leadership of this group in this case, Miriam and Aaron, Moses' sister and brother, also had their issues. It says in Numbers 12 that Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because he had married a Cushite woman. They said, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us? So the issue of who, mar who Moses married really wasn't the root of this. This was like a power struggle that... Again, there was a reluctancy to follow God's plan of having Moses be the main spokesperson. Everybody wanted some glory for themselves, I think. And to add to all this dysfunction, um, when the spies are sent into the promised land to just check out the lay of the land, 10 of the 12 spies come back and they have not good words to say about their their likelihood of success. It says, so they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw there were huge. So all these factors, all these different things add up, culminate to God just saying, okay, you guys are not going into the promised land. I'm still going to keep my promise, my covenant, but because of your lack of trust and outright rebellion, 
you're, you're going to die in the desert. And this time period, until all of those people died, is called the wanderings. And in Jewish writings, instead of this book being called Numbers, it's usually referred to as in the wilderness, since it's, that's this, it's describing where these different experiences have taken place. And as I said, the only ones who will get to enter the promised land are going to be those who did not rebel, the second generation. The entire first generation, except Caleb and Joshua, the faithful spies that we'll hear more about, um, the, they're the only ones who get to go. Those who complained and just disregarded all of God's um, providing for them, they don't get to go. And so beginning in chapter 21, we'll see the book begin to focus and shift on the second generation. Now there's still missteps, there's still temptation, there's still rebellion, but it isn't the defining character of the Jewish people here. In chapter 25, there's a really horrible uh, thing that happens where the Israelite men are seduced by Moabite women, and um, you can read the details of that in chapter 25. But the difference is that there's a decisive action taken to listen to and follow God's instructions about how to deal with this situation. And in chapter 26, we see there's a new census taken. And you might remember, if you've read it before, there's a census taken at the beginning of the book, but then because we had to wait for all these, for all that first generation to die out, there's a second census taken. And the purpose of this was a couple things. One purpose was to identify, you know, the warriors, who the warriors were. Another purpose was for all this new land that they were going to be um, having to dis distribute. They were going to distribute it by the population of the different tribes. And um, they didn't realize this, but the other purpose of the census was to record, uh, to have a record to validate Jesus' genealogy so that uh, his, his lineage would be established and that would be a part of establishing that he was a true, the true Messiah. And that lineage you can find in Matthew 1 and Luke 3. So new habits and a pattern of following the Lord's instructions are becoming established towards the end of the book. And so much so that um, they, when they conquer the Midianites, um, they not only do they conquer them, but they do it in such a way that it says they did not lose one man in the battle. Now, I don't think that if they had lost one man or multiple people, that that would show that God wasn't necessarily with them. But I, my take on that is that that was God's way of encouraging them that he was with them by this overwhelming victory. And so what I'd like to focus on with that, from this point is lessons for us. Um, sorry, I'm on the wrong slide here. <laughs> um, so the lessons for us are these. <clears throat> we can have, we can learn some of these things are, and I put them in F so that they'll stand out for you. So the, the focus will be on form, 
forgiveness, and forgetfulness. So form, so our physical form, what we're doing with our bodies can reveal, it, it often helps us to get our hearts in line or can reveal where our heart is. A picture can help us with a concept. And to give you some examples, like a lot of these you may know about, like eye contact. So in some cultures, looking someone in the eye is kind of disrespectful and it's like you're challenging the person. In others, it's a way of showing respect and that you're listening. And so, you know, we have to understand what culture we're dealing with, with that particular gesture. But others, like body language with our arms or our hands, if you're talking to me, like if you're talking to me afterwards about something that you found I was really, you didn't understand or really off base and I'm standing here like this, I'm probably giving you the impression that I don't want to hear it or I'm not receptive. But if, if I kind of keep myself open, so to speak, that's conveying that I'm willing to listen um, or you, you can do the same thing. Like if someone comes up to you, just concentrate. Okay, I'm going to put my body in a place that doesn't send some nonverbal signal that, that I'm not meaning to communicate. Another example of how form is important is in kneeling. So we can kneel when maybe we come up to a child who's three times shorter than us. So we can get on our knees and get on their level so that we are trying to communicate. I, I'm, I want you to understand, again, this is a friendly thing. This is not me looking down at you like this. Um, another way we can kneel would be uh, if we're talking to someone and we want to show respect to them and maybe they're in a, a hospital bed or they, they can't stand for some reason, we can kneel to kind of put ourselves below them. And then, of course, you know, many people kneel when they pray. And I think that picture to me is such a cool one because whether I'm standing up tall with my arms up like this or if I'm kneeling or I'm laying on the ground, it really makes no difference to God as far as how much bigger he is than me. I'm just still, it's in, inconsequential. But when I put myself in that position, it prepares my mind and it shows God that I am recognizing my, my, my position in relation to him. So God knows how we're wired like that. So in the beginning of the numbers, he, I love this picture. I think it's such a cool picture. So this is an artist's rendition of what the camp might have looked like based on the way God said, set things up, set things up this way. And it shows that God and the tabernacle are at the center of the camp. And then you have the priest and Moses and some others in close. And then he has the rest of the tribes arranged outwards from there. I really like this picture because to me, the fact that he put this in there shows that he was telling them, I want you to put me at the center of your life. I want you, you to put me at the center of your community. And I feel he tells us the same thing um, through, through this story. I couldn't find a good picture of it, but when they go from camp to camp, from this setting to, wherever, to where he's leading them, there's also a specific um, order that he asks them to be in. And he's the, he will, is leading through the, you know, the tabernacles towards the front and all the people follow behind. And again, I love that because he's leading, 
he's telling them, I'm with you. I want you to follow me. Leave, leave it to me. Don't worry, Moses, back to earlier. But um, don't worry. Now, the second F is forgiveness. And this is really the scarlet thread that I think comes through in numbers. We've talked about the scarlet thread, the, the, um, the, the part that ties it to Jesus more clearly. And the verse I would like us to look at is in chapter 14, verse 18. It says, The Lord is slow to anger and rich in unfailing love, forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion. Even so, he does not leave sin unpunished. And I like this um, because it says he's forgiving every kind of sin. It doesn't say everyone's sin, but every kind of sin. Obviously, many people in numbers who, I mean, there's like by the thousands people die at times for their sinful behavior. So um, it's saying that every kind of sin can be forgiven. And I think that's important for us to remember as we look at our own life, as we rub shoulders with our coworkers or our family or our classmates, that we need to be able to reiterate that God, from numbers forward, he says that he will forgive every sin, but he also will not leave sin unpunished. Which leads me to the next story in Numbers that we'll talk about, which is, let me go back, I don't want to spoil it. Um, there's a, there's a, a story in um, chapter 21 where the people have been beginning to murmur again, complain about their situation. And then eventually they confess that they are wrong and they repent. But God's already sent snakes which are going around biting people, people are dying. And he tells, um, he tells Moses to put a fiery serpent or a bronze serpent, some say, on a pole, and that anyone that looks at this pole will live. Sounds kind of like a crazy story, but it works. And Jesus, Jesus refers to this story, and I, th I, I think it's just amazing because everybody knows John, um, you know, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Everybody knows that verse, right? Well, right before that verse, in the context of that verse, is Jesus referring to this serpent on the pole. Jesus said, And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. The, the third F is forgetfulness. I just want to bring this to your attention. So I really want to encourage you, don't forget the things that you have seen God do. The Israelites, they forgot how when they were in Egypt, there were all these plagues that didn't affect them. They forgot how they were rescued from Egypt across the Red Sea. They forgot how they were fed and given um, nourishment in the middle of a desert. So don't forget the things that you've seen God do. And don't forget what God has told you. 
they forgot in Leviticus 18 where God said, this land that I'm taking you to is going to vomit out the people that live there. They're, they're done. They're gone. And they even forgot in Numbers 13. So when, they, when the, the spies were sent out to the land, that wasn't their idea. That wasn't their idea to go out to the... That wasn't, it wasn't intended for them to go to the land to decide if they could take it or not. God's idea was for, to send the scouts out. And God had said, send men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I am giving to Israel. I mean, it was right there, right in front of them, and they, they forgot it that quickly. There is also a, a segment in Numbers where uh, Balaam, who's a prophet for hire, is hired by some, uh, the king of one of these people that, he's, that are going to be displaced and, or maybe annihilated. And he hires Balaam to curse the Israelite people. Well, they, he can't do it. He says he will, but he never can do it because God won't allow him to. And even he says that God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. And again, they forgot that concept. I just want to encourage you. I, I know you might be tempted, at least I was tempted even as I wrote it, to say, I don't know what God has told me. You know, what has God told me? I haven't, I'm not... He hasn't told me something like he told um, Moses or anything like that. But God has told you things. He's told you through his word things like rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. He's told you that he sent his son to die for your sins. He's told you these things. And, you know, we too can, we can just forget. We can get down on ourselves or down on our circumstances or just busy and just forget these things. But don't, don't forget what God's told you. And I also put, don't neglect to use hooks to remember things. I don't know, I don't remember where, but many years ago, and I feel like I might have shared this before with you guys, so bear with me if I did. <laughs> many years ago, I heard someone explain, we need to put hooks in our life, things that will remind us throughout the day of, of promises of God throughout our day. And so, like, it could be you just associate something with um, a concept. So, like, I put my phone and my Bible. My phone wakes me up in the morning. So I put my phone and my Bible next to one of those. So when I go crawl over to hit the button to turn it off, like, I remember, okay, I also want to spend time with God. Like, I just need a prompt. And God actually, in Numbers, he created some hooks for the Israeli people there's an incident in number 16 called the Korah's Rebellion. And basically you have a group of people that don't like the role that God has put them in. And they're hung up on the, we want, we want this, we want that. And that's not their role. Moses tries to work with them in that story, and, but they just refuse to listen. So he ends up saying, okay, just come to, the, I'm just summarizing it. You can look, read it yourselves. But come to in front of the tabernacle tomorrow morning. Bring your uh, incense, um, what do we call them now? Incense burners, yeah. Bring your incense burners, and we'll see what God says. And then, so they come, and then actually a great crowd of people come to see what's going to happen. And God ends up 
swallowing, swallowing them up in the earth. They just, earth opens up, they go in, I mean, they're dead. So he made it pretty clear, it was pretty dramatic how he felt, how he wanted things to go. And, you know, you'd think if you were in the crowd and you watched that, you probably wouldn't forget that, right? That the earth has opened up and swallowed all these people up. But God knew them, and he said, he said to Moses, now gather up the incense burners, melt them down, make them into a cover, and put that on the altar. So whenever anybody sees the altar, they'll remember what just happened. And so they do. But the very next day, the whole community begins muttering again against Moses and Aaron. It's like, okay, I still don't get it, even with this hook. But God tried. He gave me this hook. And so then he comes up with another thing like that where he takes, um, there's 12 rods representing the 12 tribes uh, with the name of each on each rod. And they are placed somewhere. And overnight, the rod of Aaron ends up having almonds growing on it. And so it's very clear that he wants them to be the priest who will intervene for them. And again, he, he, he shows a physical thing to remind them of spiritual things he's already told them about. Uh, and lastly, don't neglect to tell others what you have seen God doing. So there's one that will help, you know, there's this thing that says if you listen to something, you might remember it. If you write it down, you're more likely to remember it. If you tell somebody about it, you're, gonna, you're, you're increasing your likelihood of remembering. And plus the fact that not only will that benefit you, but if you tell others what you've seen God doing, he may use that in their life to, to bring them into a closer walk with them or to bring them into a walk with them at all. And that would be connected with 1 Peter 3.15 to just sum it up with, with that particular point. If you ask about, <clears throat> sorry, if you're asked about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. So don't forget, tell others. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for numbers. Lord, there's a lot of information in numbers. There's a lot of things that we can explore and try to find a deeper understanding, and you would certainly want us to have that. Lord, I thank you for preserving numbers all these years. Thank you for the lineage of Jesus that is preserved in it. And Lord, I pray that you'll be with us this week. Be with us as we continue to study and continue to spend time in your word and growing in our understanding and literacy of your word. Help us to obey what you tell us to do. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.